0: Hey, we're so glad you could join us on our podcast today. We hope this message equips and inspires you. And if you're ever in the Liverpool area, we would love to have you join us at one of our services. Our service times are 11am and 6pm. For now, though, enjoy this podcast.
1: Well, hey, Liverpool Church, you know, you are sounding good today, but now I can see you. Can I just say you're looking pretty awesome too. So you're all looking incredible today, and it really is fantastic to have you with us for service at the eleven. And um, I can only really just reiterate everything that's already been said. You know, especially if it's your first or second time in church with us today. Firstly, you're so welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And um, but also, we're going to talk about this current series that we're in right now. And in many respects, it might feel to you like, oh gosh, this is this sounds a little bit crazy because you're coming right at the back end of, of what we're calling a giving series. And I just want to say, listen, right up front, if it's your first or second time in church, look, there. we, we, don't, we don't need you or ask you to do absolutely anything at all. We just want you to know that it's awesome to have You with us. You know, we're in week three of our This Is Why Giving series right now. And you know, one of the things that I've just really loved about most from this series is just getting the opportunity to see so many people just involve themselves and connect with this series in a very practical way through our This Is Why board. And so many of you have taken these small cards and these clips and just been hanging on some of the dreams and aspirations that you've got for your own life and that of your children and that of your family and just labeling down in black ink the very reasons why you're involved here at Liverpool One Church, why not only you keep coming, but you're willing to kind of give of your time, talent, and resource. And it's just been amazing to see so many of you kind of interact with us on that level, and there's still plenty of opportunity for you to do that. You can check these boards out in the foyer, and I encourage you, like, list your why. I mean, like, why do you do church? We would really love to hear from you on that front. You know, before we get into the message today, before we do the talk, I feel like I just need to give a disclaimer, and um, the reason is simply this. Especially if you are in for maybe the first time today, you're going to find this card that's on, near, or around your seat. And this is our This Is Why giving envelope. And I guess about three or four weeks ago now, we started speaking as a church about how we really believed that we were gonna, I guess, push the boat out, be a little crazy, believe God to do the miraculous amongst us. And we've been asking those of you that follow Christ Those of you that call Liverpool One Church your home church, we've just been asking you to prayerfully consider to partner with us throughout this season. And I guess that everything that we've been talking about, it culminates in what is going to be our This Is Why giving offering at the end of the talk. But the reason why I'm just like flagging this out to you is maybe you've not had opportunity yet to involve yourself with filling out your card. Well, you can do that at any given point, but at the same time, I just want to like go on record and say look please don't feel any pressure i've said this every single week that i've been up and you can help me out because hopefully you will know this now even better than me right so help me out with this because you don't have to do anything nothing at all you don't no pressure you can calm right down if you're like giving your wife a dig and saying i told you we should never have come to church it's always about the money no no you're just with us on a giving series and everything changes next week at the party and it's going to be incredible and hey Definitely come next week because there's free food, right? I mean, like, bring your kids, bring their packed lunches for the week and everything. It's going to be awesome. You'll really be able to stock them up. So, hey, I think that there are certain things that we all have in common, and one of them is probably how not one of us like, at any given point in our life, to be inconvenienced. Nobody likes inconvenience, right? For those of you who are mums and dads in the room, um, you will probably have experienced the same thing that Emma and I have found. Your children, they are like the biggest blessing in your life, aren't they? They're just like incredible. And like when you see them taking their steps for the first time and they start to talk to you, I mean, they are amazing, right? And when they get to three, it's like everything changes. It's like they just learn the art of just successfully being able to inconvenience you at any given point of your life. And that they feel is their duty. And let me tell you, it doesn't stop as they get older either. You know what? Our middle boy, when he was about 15, 16, I remember a conversation with Isaac and it went something like this. Hey dad, you know what? I don't need to be in school at all this week. And I was like, well, that sounds really funny because um, you've only just gone back. And he said, no, no, there's this thing now and... um we haven't got anything that we need to do because you know we're waiting for our ex- exams to kick in. So I don't even need to be at school this week. So what I've done is I've bought myself a train ticket. And if you take me to the train station, I'm gonna go and spend a couple of days with my, my cousins who are in Leeds. They're gonna pick me up from the station there. All you have to do is drop me at the train station. And I'm saying to him, I'm not sure that this sounds legit eyes. You know, It's like, you've only just gone back to school and you've got your exams coming. And he's like, going, No, no, dad, seriously, no problem. No drama. It's like, I'm going to go spend some time with my cousins, Harry and Jake. We're going to play for a few days. And then I'm going to come back and pick up my education because this is no problem. I've even spoke with the headmaster and everything is totally cool. So I was like, okay, do your thing. He goes away, right? We drop him off at the station at like seven o'clock in the morning or something. At 11 o'clock on that very day, I received a phone call and this is how it went. Hello, is that Mr. Bryant? I said, it sure is. It says, hi, it's Mr so-and-so, the head teacher at Isaac's school. I said, hi, it's great to hear from you. He said, I'm just wondering where Isaac is. I said, well, he's currently in Leeds because you told him he could go there for the week. He said, we never said any such thing. Every single student needs to be in school right now. He's supposed to be in mock exams. He should not be taking any time off. I said, I'll have him with you in a couple of hours. Hung up, I was so infuriated. I literally grabbed my keys, walked out of the office and drove all the way to Leeds knocked on the door, and he was like having the, uh, the the most incredible shock going through his body right now. I walk in the house, and he's kind of like, this is the craziest thing. How come you're here? And I'm like in the car now. Well, what do you mean in the car now? What do you even do? You're going to school for three o'clock. I don't care what your plans were. I don't care what you thought you were going to be doing, but you boy are going to school and his cousins are like laughing their head off at him, you know, because they're just like, you've been sprung trying to bunk off school. That serves you right. But um, you ever noticed how your kids can sometimes just inconvenience you in some ways? Ever notice, though, how life often has this way, whether it be through friends or family or maybe even your job, your career, maybe in finance, but it just has this way sometimes of just kind of inconveniencing you. And the crazy thing is, is that when you think about what we like in our life, in our context, in the year that we all live now, what we desire the most is a life full of convenience. You know, just a few years ago, you could wait in the reception at the hotel for seven minutes without feeling hard done by. If you went over seven minutes in the queue, then all of a sudden you'd start to get a little bit agitated, feel a little bit aggrieved at the fact that you're having to wait this length of time. But you could go seven minutes. Now, do you know how long people are willing to wait in the queue whilst trying to check in at the hotel? One minute before they now feel inconvenienced or aggrieved at the fact that they're having Wait. I mean, if you just think and look back over all of our lives over the last few years, right? Everything has changed and been geared towards making our life more convenient. I mean, think of the sat nav. I mean, how incredible is that? I mean, it often takes you to wrong places, but it's pretty incredible. Think about Siri. You know, I can shout, Hey Siri, and your phone's probably going crazy right now, and it'll even remind you of your name. I mean, how convenient is that? I mean, think about your thumbs. Because only a few years ago, the tips of your thumbs were good for two things and two things only. Firstly, sucking when you were a kid. And secondly, they were good for like the good job sign. And that was kind of it. Your thumb didn't have any other useful purpose at all. That was it. Good job. Whereas now, if you think about how you use your thumbs, I mean... You book flights and travel the world on the click of your thumb. You pay for meals in restaurants, you access all of your bank accounts and transfer money. You do just eat, you play games, you type emails, you create documents, you stay connected, all by the tip of your thumb. And this makes perfect sense because what we want is a really convenient life. That's what we all desire, but here's the problem. In the same way that we want a life of convenience, the problem is is that if you choose to follow Christ, sometimes when you choose to become a Christian, you kind of want to play your faith life with the same rules. You want that convenient Christian lifestyle that we think or we hope and pray might be in the Bible somewhere, but in fact is nowhere at all. You see, following Jesus is not about living a life of convenience at all. You know, Here at Liverpool One Church, we want to be about everyone. It's what we dream of being about. We want to create a place where every person can feel welcomed. We want them to feel like this can really be a place that they can call home. No matter whether they've been to church before, whether this is their first time ever in church, we genuinely want people to be able to feel like they can call this place home. But that doesn't happen if we as those that follow Christ have determined to live a convenient Christian life because we're not called to live a life of convenience if we really wanna pursue Christ and live in a real and authentic relationship with him. We're not called to be convenienced at all. We're called to be committed, committed. I mean, just think about it for a moment. Think about the scriptures and there are so many of them. Does this sound to you like the Christian life that we're supposed to follow is all about convenience. We could talk about where Jesus speaks and he says, by the way, if your neighbor wrongs you or if he does anything or your enemy does something, says something, you've got to love them. That doesn't sound convenient to me at all. You could look at the life of Jesus and see the way in which he sacrificed so much, even in his obedience to the Father when he went to the cross so that we could know who he is. I mean, that was not convenient. That was commitment to the Father to the greatest degree, right? I mean, think about all the scriptures that talk about how, (laughs) hey, listen, if someone's hurt on the other side of the road and he's the guy that nobody else wants to be with, wants to run with, wants to even be around, if you follow him, then we're the people that cross the road and we live a life that's full of inconvenience. Think about the scripture that talks about the guy, you know, they end up taking their friend who's been a paraplegic, lifelong friend, and they dig the roof off a building just to get him to Jesus. I mean, there's nothing convenient about that at all. That is just sheer commitment. Think about the scriptures about being kind and gracious towards people to whom society would never even give a moment of kindness or graciousness to. That is the gospel that we follow. You know, we are in a giving series, right? Right? and we've been talking from this scripture found in 2 Corinthians, and we're gonna go there again in just a moment. But it basically is a letter that Paul writes encouraging one church in Corinth who are doing so incredibly well on so many levels. And he's saying, look, guys, you've got it going on so great in many ways, but but you're missing something. You've put something on the peripheral of your faith life that actually, actually needs to be right at the core and the center. He's saying what you need to do And I think that Paul would say this to us if he was stood on this platform, in this auditorium, to this incredible bunch of Liverpool One Church people. I think he would be saying the same thing. He'd be saying, look, for as awesome as you are with all of these things that you've got going on, make sure you don't miss this one seemingly small, slight, insignificant thing that this other church in Macedonia really nailed. And he called it the grace of giving. He was saying, make sure in your Christian life that you live a life of generosity. You know, we've been talking, and you can sure catch up online about what we're going to do and what our plans are as a church as we move forward to our future. But if I was to kind of very briefly try and summarize what I think it is to excel in the grace of generosity, I think generosity is this. It's when something puts you out temporarily so that someone gets to come in eternally. That's what generosity is for us. As a church. So let's jump to 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to go from verse 3, and I want to just make this one simple point. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, For I can testify that they gave, meaning the church in Macedonia, not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more. Than we had hoped for their first action. Now hear this. Their first action was to give to themselves, to the Lord, and to us. Let me say that again. It was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we've urged Titus, who encouraged you giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. And here he is, he's making his final reiteration. He says, Look, guys, since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. Saying, guys, don't let this be on the peripheral of your life. But notice what Paul says in verse three sorry, the back end of verse five. He says, They even did more than we had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we're talking about generosity and what we find is that when Paul is commending this church in Corinth about what this church in Macedonia has done and how they've been and how they've been operating and how they've been thinking, he's saying to them, hey, listen, Corinth, to us, he'd say, hey, Liverpool want? Just make sure that you know that the way in which they gave was that they committed and devoted themselves first to God. And then he goes on to say to us, meaning the apostles that he was referring to. You see, that church in Macedonia that we've been looking at now for a number of weeks, they were not about living the convenient life. They were about living the committed life. You know what? We've said this before, but we know 100% that there is a link between your financial giving and our ability to see lives changed for Christ one life at a time. When you give, miracles happen. When we give, life change really happens. But hey, We've been sharing so many stories over the last few weeks of people who have chosen to follow Christ and put their faith in him, even at times through some of the most adverse and difficult and complex of situations. So I don't want you to take my word for this this morning, but instead, I want to introduce to you a really great and fantastic couple who've been so open and willing to share a small part of their incredible story. So for me, and maybe it is for you too, this is why.
2: Yeah, we were, we'd worked hard to create, I guess, what you know, what we what we wanted for us, you know, getting ready to set up having children and starting a family, and um, yeah, we were. Uh, yeah, we were like all,
3: the perfect couple, weren't we? Like all yeah. our friends, we were known as Sammy and Scott, like. They'd all been to our wedding, they'd all seen us grow up, and I do know, I think everyone presumed we were just invincible, we had no, Me
2: too.
3: we'd never yes. ever have issues, because, and we never argued, did we? No one ever no. Seen, saw us argue, or...
2: Because we barely did, we bicker every now yeah. and then, but we literally had, we didn't have problems, like, we didn't, no. you know, we never had, we didn't have money problems, we didn't have any problems, we didn't, um, barely <laughs> argued about anything, um, I, I ended up Go in the mood, you know, just hanging out and spending all my couple time with our friend, who then, you know, ended up becoming yeah. a lot more than that. So, um, it, you know, it's absolutely, you know, not even an issue, not even a problem, um, until it was a big problem, and um, and I realised that I didn't want my marriage anymore, um, and I wanted to be with somebody else. And then when we went to marriage counselling. Um, after I'd, I'd cheated on Scott and um, we tried to make it work. But it was just too late. I, I'd yeah. completely checked out. I, I was shut
3: down completely.
2: I was ticking a box to say, we've done the marriage counselling, yeah. it hasn't worked. Um, it
3: was because... you justifying the situation, wasn't it? You can say that you've tried it, yeah. it didn't work, we're not meant to be, kind of thing, wasn't it?
2: Um, I started attending um Liverpool One church. and um, started at the relationship series and um and for me one of the, the biggest um reasons why I kept on um attending Liverpool One um was because it was there was a church where there was people my age and all my friends um, were non Christians and and they were absolutely thought, um, some of my friends were, um, you only live once, you know, You know, everybody gets divorced these days, it's not a big deal. But I didn't want that, I didn't want that for me. Um, I always swore I would never get married because my parents got divorced. Um, so that when Scott and I got together, I knew I want to spend the rest of my life with them and then I, I threw it away. I didn't know what I was doing. My life was out of control. I was out of, um, I was out of control. and. I, I hated looking at myself in the mirror and, you know, I just couldn't, um, you know, I just couldn't stand who I didn't... I never set out to be this person. I was... I was not a... I was not a cheater. I was not a, you know, um, on oh my words. Um, and I never for never thought we'd get back together because, yeah, that's so what I thought I'd well and truly burnt to the ground. Yeah, well, you'd,
3: you'd even gone to the point of filling out divorce people. Uh, so in your mind and I kind of held on to the hope that we would recover, but seeing that was a was a shock that you'd gone to that length. Obviously after a long while we'd been separated, um we started, you know, tentatively dating again and just spending more time with each other. You know, little things, small things there. Uh, and obviously Sam had started attending the Full church and she, at times when we weren't together, she she had mentioned that she she wanted that God-centered relationship. And for me, it was, well, that's never gonna happen because I'm not a churchy person. So, but then, you know, she invited me and I kind of felt like I had to go just to kind of show willing and almost tick a box to say, you know, I'm trying for you and stuff like that. But, yeah, so I started attending. I went. The first service was at the Liner Hotel. It Was a, a Christmas Eve or Christmas? A Christmas yeah, Christmas Eve. one. Um, and I enjoyed it, but again, I was there just to tick the box. wasn't never intended to to kind of carry on in the future. But but again, I, I kept going along. I went. We went every week, then we met every Sunday. And I enjoyed it. And you know, I enjoyed the worship. I enjoyed the message, but it never really spoke to me. I, I kind of you know. The prayer that we say at the end where you're invited to inviting Jesus into your life. I kind of always hoped that I'd hear this voice to say, Yeah, you know, this is God talking, but I don't know, it, it never happened and I, I kind of I was starting to lose a bit of faith in it really, thinking I'm gonna keep going to keep the peace, to keep you know, but I never really imagined it would it would lead anywhere. Um and then, yeah, one time, I don't know, we were doing that prayer and I had my eyes closed and some part of me just said God's not gonna just shout at you. You just need to you need to take the step to him and you should give it a go. You should you should you know it's up to you to to take that step towards towards Jesus and I did and you know from there life I don't know, you know, I'm, it just changed, didn't it? Like whether there was a click, whether something just just changed and
2: oh, that was <laughs> I, I I it's my screenshot on my phone, like I still I look at it every single day. Um when he got baptized. Um I can't even it just um Shanshi. Um I don't know, it's just something I always I I always dreamed of and I never I never appreciated marriage, I guess. Um, but coming, particularly coming to Liverpool 1 and seeing some of the, the couples and the marriages, I I wanted that. I wanted that. I wanted that love and I wanted that marriage. And um, and I knew they had it because they had God and God was at the centre and they had a guy leading them through God and I never had that and I knew I was never going to have that. Um, so that when Scott said he wanted to be baptized, oh, that... I could have that—that that I could have that marriage that I n- never ever thought I could have—and and now, oh, it's, yeah, it's—it's it's still every day. It's everything to me because it has changed everything. Um,
3: From starting to come to church, the difference in my life is just, just incredible. Just everything. There's, there's 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 a peace. There's a faith. There's there's knowledge that no matter what, things will be okay. And. I feel centered, I feel planted in, in the church. And I know that there's someone up there looking out for us. And
2: it's not like everything's easy. You know, it's not like now magic wand has been waved and marriage and life is easy. It's just that it's so much easier with God than it was ever without him.
3: And he, he's saved our, our marriage. He, he's brought us back from, from the brink. We were, there was a time where I, honestly didn't believe it would happen and you know I've got God to thank for that and and Liverpool one church the church and being drawn into that that family really and you know this this is why I I attend church to you know it, it's everything really isn't it like yeah, what we have, what now. It, what, <laughs> what we have now is just yeah. beyond what it was before As I say we thought yeah. we were great once and this is different, it's a completely different level of, of love and relationship and we've got God to thank for that. And it's, yeah.
0: <laughs> Scott, Sam, Teb, wherever you are, we love you. We celebrate you. We are so grateful that you found this place to be home, where you could mend, where you could become whole, where you could heal. And I thank God for every life that walks through these doors and can find some place to call an oasis, some place that will feed me and some place that will help me when I'm hurting and navigate me through what I'm going through. And this is our why, people, people are always our why. I sat with someone this week, a single mom. And she said to me, she's only recently started coming to the church in the last couple of months. She said, I have loved this series. And I'm thinking, really? You know, this is a really difficult subject whenever we have to talk about finance or giving. It is an incredibly sensitive and difficult subject to speak about from the platform. But I think it's the power of personal testimony that every week we're learning about people's journeys and stories coming through the door and just how we're helping people get through their lives. She said, I am so grateful. I heard that story last week about when you met in the Crown Plaza and there was a small group of you, 18 people that sowed a seed into this day, into purchasing a building we had not seen for a congregation we did not know. For a time that we did not know it was going to happen, but 18 people put a seed to one side and we, we, we took up a huge amount of money that day but you know what it was seed for such a time as this and she said I'm so grateful for those people that paved a way so that I could have a church to come to in my broken state so that I could have a place to come in my hour of need because if you had not made that sacrifice and if you had not given back then she said where would I be now and the way my life is now, I don't have an abundance of finance. I don't have finance in excess. But she said, me and my children, we've been eBaying everything that we don't use anymore in the house because we are so determined to sow a seed for the people who are not yet here today. That was the most powerful conversation I've had. I'm going to be really honest with you now. You're going to, we're going to be Giving in to our seed, you've you've got your you've got your farms. I just want you to hold them in your hands while I'm just speak for a few moments. Because your seed is precious, your seed is valuable, your seed is life-giving, your seed is life-changing, your seed is door opening, your seed is road making, your seed is eternity changing. So don't take it lightly. Just hold that seat for a moment. You know, I remember when my children were growing up and they loved to play games of Monopoly. Now, I was not the Monopoly kind of mother. It was too labor intensive. I'm the Kiplunk kind of girl, the buckaroo kicking donkey thing. But my kids loved Monopoly. I think it was something to do with them being all boys They loved the power of holding all that money in their hand. They loved buying and selling and acquiring property. And they didn't care who they gazumped or trod on or sent to jail to get what they wanted in their game of Monopoly. And the more money they had in the hand, the better it felt. And the more hotels on Pall Mall, the better the game was going. And that sense of achievement, when you got to the end of the game and you were the winner and you're sitting there with a wad of cash while your brother's in prison and broke and you didn't care. But do you know what would happen at the end of the game? Mother would pick the board up, tip the pieces back in the box, put the lid on and then it would stay ready for somebody else to play another day. It's not unlike life because no matter how much we get, and how much we acquire and how much we have and who we trample on to get what we want. At the end of the day, your riches can't go with you. Even if they shove them in the grave with you, you can't actually take them with you when you go on from this place. And just like those monopoly pieces get tipped back into the box. So one day, everything that we've gained, everything that we acquire, gets put to one side only for the next generation to come and repeat the cycle all over again. And I think God really wanted to teach us something about our finances because let's think about money for a moment. Let's think about all the things that that, that money does. We We can buy things with our finances. We can buy things, but it also causes people to lie and to cheat and to steal, to rob Divorces can be caused because of it. Families are split over it. These are just some of the things. But what I want you to understand today is that having money is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Wanting and desiring things is not bad. It's actually, it is a good thing. But it tells us in 1 Timothy 6, it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. It's when we make money our goal and our God and our number one. And I think God always knew if there was anything that was going to derail us and detract us from living the absolute best and blessed life, it would be the way we view and see money. That's why Jesus, in his time on earth, he spoke more about finances than he spoke about heaven and hell. Did you know that? That over half the parables, Jesus talks about money. So finances is not a thing that we as a church are ever going to shy away from speaking about. In fact, I think if the church spoke about it more often, less people would have problems with it like they do. But if I'm honest... I think it's part of the reason why God taught us the principle of tithing. Because I think that God knew that if we could release the first tenth to him, which in turn to his house, which in turn would be plowed back in to reaching lives for Jesus. If we could release the first tenth to him, we would be a people of a generous spirit and not a greedy spirit. Because you can't be generous and greedy at the same time. And I think God was teaching us, if you can learn to be generous, you will never be greedy. And so, I'm so glad when I get to sit and have the conversations like I've had this week. I'm so broken when I just hear story after story after story of people that have come into this house with their broken pieces, but they've found wholeness again. We can't change lives, but Jesus can. But somehow we have to facilitate the lives that are being changed. And, you know, Lucas said on the platform, time and time, it gone by when he's been teaching on tithing and giving. And he said, hey, look, if you don't trust us with your finances, go give it to another church down the road that's doing a great work. It's not that we want your finances, it's that we want you to know what it is to live a blessed life. And only when we give to God can he attach his supernatural to our giving and do something incredible. When all of us pull together, I believe there's a shift in heaven that affects what's happening here.